You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the Rouge White Blue CFL podcast. My name's Oz Davis. I am the host of the show. And joining me, as always, as co-host, is my friend in Wisconsin, Joe Pritchard. Joe, geared up in the Winnipeg cap. How are you doing today? Uh, just waiting impatiently. Uh, had a milestone birthday over the past month here, so we're planning on making a trip to Montreal for Canada Day to see my bombers. So making some preparations for that you had a milestone birthday so you're going to canada give me a break this is this is not cause and effect actually it is (laughs) (laughs) okay i think it's that was my birthday present it's like where do you want to go in the world oh okay all right okay what kind of question is that (laughs) fair enough i thought it was just an excuse but (laughs) to be honest I'll find okay. one. I'll find one if I need one. In this case, I didn't need one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Guesting on the Roots Right Blue this week is Andrew Buckholt. He's a writer for Awful Announcing, where he just had an interview with International Tennis Hall of Fame honorary president and former star Kim Kleisters, and an interesting interview with Israel Gutierrez on his new Miami Heat-centric podcast. Uh, He also works with thecomeback.com and uh, a couple of board gaming sites, which we're going to talk a little bit later. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I guess we're glad to have you on here because we have something happening in the CFL, which I got to admit, I was so distracted by these awesome NBA playoffs and these awesome NHL playoffs and the college softball tournament and all this other stuff that I haven't been that much up on the CFL. So Joe, why don't you re-break this bad news to me? And then Andrew, I'd like to get your analysis on this because it's right up your media savvy alley. Um, Joe, Tell, tell us about the TV deal for Americans and the CFL. Okay. And I'd like to apologize to our Canadian listeners because we're going to be talking, we're going to be very US centric here for at least the next little while here. So if you want to skip ahead, uh, I don't blame you. Uh, but for but this year, there's a new set of broadcasters for the CFL games down here for at least like the last decade plus, actually. I think. A decade ago, there was some games here and there on NFL Network or NBC Sports Network, but really over the last decade, it's all been ESPN2, ESPN News, and most of the games would be streamed on either ESPN3 or as of late, it's been the ES- on the ESPN app, uh, but that's all changed this year. Uh, 34 games are going to the CVS Sports Network, which isn't as prestigious as that sounds just to be fair. And the rest of the games, including the Grey Cup and every playoff game, are going to be streamed directly from the CFL's website uh, to us directly. Uh, Now, the CBS Sports Network games would require a cable subscription of or a streaming package that is basically a cable subscription to access those games, but the games streaming from from the CFL Plus website will be uh streaming for free now we brought in andrew a because we haven't had him on for so long i when i looked at my twitter dms to go check check for andrew because i know we wanted i want to talk to him about this i'm like it's been that dang long but secondly he's kind of an expert on sports media landscape so andrew what would you say to our canadian friends about how how this actually is going to go down in the u.s yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a couple of interesting things here. Uh, I mean, one is that the CFL, according to at least all the reports, they're making a lot more money from CBS for far less inventory. They've only sold off 34 of their games, not even the playoffs or Grey Cup. 
But according to the reports, they're making nine to 10 times what they were getting from ESPN before this. Now, I mean, that's still not a huge amount of the reports I've seen estimated at maybe like a million or so. So that's not huge in the grand scheme of things. But for a league like the CFL where the payrolls aren't that big, um, it's still it's a decent amount of money and, and it's more than they were getting. What's really interesting to me is beyond the CBS deal, the CBS deal sort of it sort of makes sense in terms of like this is content for CBS Sports Network. It's content in particular that they're going to have during the summer and during the early fall before the end of their their college football season. It's stuff they can put there. It, it, it's fine. It it, wor- it works for them. It, it'll get them an okay audience. Nobody's necessarily going to be too clamoring about, but clearly there's value there for them and they're willing to pay for it. The thing that's really interesting to me is what they're doing with the CFL Plus, which is the remainder of those games. And uh, we're streaming them for free to every everyone just with an email address. But that comes with some important limitations. Unlike the stuff that was on ESPN Plus, where you could watch replays, you could go back in time during the game, you could watch games on demand and so on. This is just, you have to be there live. There's no way to look back or a- any of that. And so... That makes it a little inconvenient. And what's really interesting there is that um, this is a change not just for the U.S. This is a change for the entire international scene as well. And that's where a lot of the real pushback is coming from. Uh, Before this, a lot of the CFLs around the world streaming was on Yair TV, this other service. And it came with some of those other features. Uh, It came came with some pay you had to pay. And there there were some hurdles on that front and so on. But for people in, say, Japan, it was much more doable to watch a CFL game on demand than to watch it live, given the time zone differences. And so I think that is going to be one big hurdle with the CFL Plus plan is just the like, you can only you can only watch it live. You can't go back in the game at all. And uh, another thing to me that's really interesting with this, at least so far, this is only available on desktop and mobile devices. So they're not doing smart TV apps. They're not doing connected TV things like Roku's or Amazon Fire Sticks and so on. I hope the CFL eventually gets there with CFL Plus, but that is, those are the ways a lot of people consume TV right now. So at the moment, you can you can watch this on TV, but you're going to have to have either a, a Chromecast fan or an Apple Apple Play or hook your computer in with an HDMI cable or whatever. And that's a lot more complicated than just going to an app. That's definitely a point I did want to bring up. Uh, I did. I was able to use the browser on my Fire Stick to mm. go to the website, to sign in, to get this, to, to do the CFL preseason live that they're oh, streaming good. for yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. So you can do it. It's a, it's still a decent quality. Um, if you go in through, it, it's a little bit fiddly you you mm-hmm. trying to either you're typing on your remote or you're pulling up your phone app to type to get your email and all that fun stuff in there or, and to type in the browser but it's there for me though uh, there's two things that kind of take this whole package and make it a little bit more difficult for me and there's a third thing that's really pissing us off <laughs> so the two things i can see is well First of all, congratulations for the CFL for making some more money off of this. That was probably mm-hmm. part of the point. Mm-hmm. If that's what the goal was, mission accomplished. The two things that I see as problems, though, are for the 34 games on the CBS Sports Network, the cheapest streaming uh, package or cable package I could find with CBS Sports Network on it was running $70 plus a month, mm-hmm. which last year with ESPN – Sling was you could get Sling Orange for forty five fifty a month. So if you're somebody that's a cord cutter that comes in and out of these streaming packages when you need to, that cost is now skyrocketed on you. The second thing is now for the games that they are street that are streaming alone are going to be so much more difficult for people to find and to stream easily. It's going to be a barrier of entry that's going to keep somebody new from coming along going, this is awesome. Let's go. Let's make sure I watch next week, too. You're not just going to you're, you're, you might casually find it on CBS Sports Network, but it's going to be so much harder to find the rest of them uh, be, just simply because you're not going to be able to sit, sit there with your remote and flip around. You have to actively go find this. So that's going to keep some 
the casual fans out of the loop on this. And the third thing, of course, Oz, I know Oz likes to catch the games the next morning, usually. That's going to be a big hindrance to a lot of people here and across the world. I know our friend Greg over in Japan is going to have a whole heart, whole lot of a hard time uh, keeping up this year now. I mean, I mean, I mean, just it's it's not just because I'm an old dude and I go to bed at like 6 p.m. I mean, but geez, I mean, sometimes they have games on uh, Sunday when uh, there's another league that plays football games on Sunday. And then a lot of folks, not me personally, but a lot of folks are into this other kind of football called American college football. And that's on Saturday. So it's now, wait a second. So, so then I guess I have the TV on the college football game and the computer on the, on the CFL game, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I don't see a problem with that. I guess I get you know what <laughs> what what irks me what what bothers me about this is that it feels to me like you know again like CBS is just saying ooh look content you know they don't care that it's the CFL they don't care that there's a history here or there's a bunch of expat Canadians living in America that want to see the, the teams they've been watching since they were a kid, they don't care about that. They just want to compete, right, with the USFLs and the XFLs, which is beneath them, if you ask me, and I'm sure other folks on this show might agree. Um, wow. Wow. Isn't, isn't this just, this is it, isn't it? This is just a response to because Fox and NBC and ABC slash ESPN have this second-rate football, we need what we consider second-rate football here as well. That's what this is by CBS, right? I think that's that's a little bit of that. And to keep in mind that CBS was actually sort of first in this current wave of alternative American football leagues because they had the AAF back in 2019, they and Turner, but they they had more of it. And they haven't really been in it since then. They weren't in it in the first round of the XFL. The second round of the XFL is all Disney. The USFL was actually owned by Fox, but it has some games on NBC. So yeah, it's it's football. It's alternative football content for CBS. Um, I think even with the many factors in favor of the CFL, of the history and the unique style of play and so on, it is, I think it is a harder sell for U.S. television just because you don't have those American city names on the jerseys. And the thing that I think is very funny there with the USFL in particular is like the USFL is not actually playing in the cities that they have the names of, right? Like they've just, they've been through their, they're in their second year here. And, uh, I live in New Orleans. The New Orleans Breakers did not play here at all in the first year, are not going to play here at all the second year, but like they're still sold to us as this local team. So to me, it's it's very funny that you can appeal to American TV audiences just by putting a city name on on something, even if you're not actually connected there. But yeah, yeah I think it, well, it I think you're right. I think it is it is somewhat of a response from CBS. It is a here's how we can get some more football content. People like football content to some degree. I mean, uh, uh, these alternative leagues, the USFL and the XFL, the ratings for them haven't been what people hoped. They aren't up there with like the 2020 XFL or and they're really not up there with the 2001 XFL. But there's still there's an OK audience for this. None of these leagues are outright collapsing at the moment. It's decent content for the networks as well as they don't pay too much for it. So I can see the appeal for CBS in getting on board with that. And McLeod Bethel and, and, Thompson is dominating. Yeah. <laughs> For those New Orleans breakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess then, uh, so to kind of get away from some of the negativity that mm-hmm. the hardcores are feeling about it, you mm-hmm. know, us and others, um, what is the long, what do you see as a, the, as a league's long term strategy? Do you think it's CB, CFL Plus is something they're intending to build up going forward? Or was that simply response? Because ESPN, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know if you noticed this 
like the over this uh, winter, but the Briar was no longer on ESPN mm-hmm. Plus either. Are they? Mm-hmm. Are is ESPN simply scaling back on some of the things they're buying because they have so much content? Were they even an option this year, possibly, or is the league actively trying to make CBS or CFL Plus a, a, a thing going forward, or is that simply a response to the market being lukewarm? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question, and I don't know that we can definitively pinpoint it from the outside, at least without some more reporting than what I have. Um, but I think I think there are there are a couple of things there. From my understanding of it, at least, I don't think ESPN was not going to pay what CBS paid. No, for the, and they've been getting there's it. There's no way it's they've not, been getting it for dirt yeah, cheap for so long. They've been getting it. They? For, they've been getting it for cheap. It it was working for them at the price it was. And you mentioned earlier. I thought you made a good point earlier about how uh, people just stumble upon things. Yes, that is a huge thing that ESPN can sell to partner leagues. And even for their streaming, and even beyond ESPN Plus, if you happen to have Hulu, it shows you live, whenever you load up Hulu, it shows up uh, live games on ESPN Plus that you mm-hmm. can watch right in the Hulu interface if you happen to have an ESPN Plus subscription as well. So we ESPN have that bundle. And, it's very convenient and nice. Exactly. That way. <laughs> ESPN and Disney, they're selling their reach. They're selling that we have all this stuff. Sports want to work with us. For a, a, comp- a company like CBS, with and especially with CBS Sports Network being way lower profile than ESPN or Fox Sports 1, they have to pay more for it. That's why the CFL is getting a better deal from them. And the, 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 thing, to, the thing to keep in mind there, like this isn't... Um, this is not a thing specific to the CFL. Every single league is having to make these kind of trade-offs of money versus access. That's what we're seeing with the NFL, with them playing Thursday night football on Amazon, on streaming, rather than on, rather than on the conventional TV it had been on. We're seeing it with a lot of college sports, with increased streaming components. We're seeing it in particular with MLS, which sent their entire thing to Apple and then sub-licensed some games to broadcast. But they very much took that deal being like, this will get us more money. We know it's going to get us less exposure. We're okay with that. And so that's sort of what's going on here, I think, from the CFL perspective in terms of making that CBS deal. In terms of the remainder of it, I think that may be more of a reaction just of how it came out. And I think once you struck the CBS deal, ESPN was probably not all that interested in taking the remainder of your stuff. They, they were more interested when they had the whole thing. And especially considering like when they have the entire league of the XFL and their playoffs right. and so on, why would they want to jump in for half and the, the remainder of the pickings that CBS left them? So I think I think CFL Plus is somewhat of a reaction. I don't know that there was another streaming partner that would have really paid for these games. I think it could turn into a long-term strategy for the league. And I think the thing that would make a lot of sense for them and I'm sort of surprised they haven't done already is, uh, so we've been complaining about the features they don't have, about the ability to rewind, the ability to watch games on demand and so on. Well, you could do that as the premium version of this. That's what the NFL is doing with their NFL Plus streaming service. They make they make even the All-22 film available. They make all sorts of stuff available on demand whenever you want to watch it. And uh, I'm sort of surprised that the CFL hasn't yet come up with a premium tier of extra features for those willing to pay, and and also which also would remove a lot of the complaints of this. And maybe that's something that you can then get in those app stores and get right onto TVs as well, so people don't have to use their browsers. And with it coming out bare bones like it is, that kind of... Mm-hmm. T- that- Brought them brought to mind that this might have been a reaction. Who knows what next year brings? Because the CBS deal is three years. So mm-hmm. what CBS or what CFL Plus next year looks like next year might be completely different than what we're seeing this year. Mm-hmm. So I could see if they decide to run with this, they could do a lot more like we're talking about. So this year might just be a bump on the road as far as that sort of thing goes. These technological yeah, things, these technological things seem to take a few years with the CFL anyway. It seems to be a bit of a process with the CFL. I mean, they have far fewer resources than the NFL or mm-hmm. other North American sports leagues anyway. But I want to go back to, I don't mean to get obsessed about this, but I want to go back to this thing. I think there's, there's a lot more to do with this, uh, the fact that ESPN has the XFL 
even though they know they're like, it's not exactly a cash cow for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing stuff like that weird introduction by the rock to the super, to mm-hmm. the Rams Bengals super bowl. I mean, like mm-hmm. that was just pure, Hey guys, I'm the commissioner of a football league now, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and ESPN has done this before they have mm-hmm. made leagues MMA UFC is nothing without ESPN. Nothing. ESPN made them and they killed boxing mm-hmm. for a large audience, basically. They can do this. And and this feels to me like, yeah, this is kind of like a warm-up for we're gonna we're gonna start really making this league a bit more here. Cause where are ESPN? Where ESPN? You know, infinite growth, right? Here's the here's a growth possibility. Let's make this let's make this football league. <laughs> you know? So I certainly see it. It's it's just too bad that, you know, the CFL is kind of kicked to the side by ESPN here. Um, I guess it's good that they're making more money though. Fingers crossed we'll be able to access this at a reasonable level. So let me ask you this, Andrew. Um, uh, do we know? Who's going to be doing the production at CBS? Are we going to uh, have a unique team for this? Oh no, no, it's it's just going to be picking up the TSN feed. I'm pretty ah. sure, just just the way that it it always has been with the ESPN games. Yeah, okay. See, at that point, yeah, you might as well. The, I think the last well I think the last time the U.S. had their own broadcast for a CFL game was back when the Baltimore Stallions were still alive. Yep. So I don't think C- we're going to be CFL seeing USA. that there, there's archives of um, Mike Tirico and so on calling CFL USA games on uh, ESPN in the 90s. So, yeah, but see, again, that that just makes me sad because again, this feels <laughs> like content. You know, look, here's just content. We don't have to do anything. We can just insert our own commercials. But, <laughs> but everything that's else also part that's also par for the course for being a CFL fan down here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just Hell what yeah. we're used to at this point. So. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I guess I, I guess before we leave the TV realm here, we are seeing some seismic changes in how in how other leagues are handling uh, t- TV and cord cutting and streaming and all that sort of thing. Uh, we're also seeing that MLB is like mm-hmm. having a, ha- having an earthquake going on with uh, with their with Bally who had half. Yeah basically half the MLB teams and now they're starting to just they're starting to slowly drop them as they're becoming unprofitable because they don't have the streaming on some of these teams so how does how the CFL is always going to be a small fry on the in the US TV market of course but how do all these changes affect how the CFL strategy should be going forward are, are we hitting like are we hitting like the top of the mountain as far as what these things are? We're we kind of having a bubble burst as far as sports rights go. Well, I don't think it's yet a bubble bursting in terms of sports rights. And I think we'll particularly see that with the new NBA deals when those come in a couple of years, like those deals, uh, according to everything so far are going to go up by a lot, despite all the challenges. What we are seeing, I think is we are, we are seeing we're seeing more and more of a shift to streaming. We've seen, and in particular, we've seen ESPN and Jimmy Pitaro, the the chair over there, confirm that they're going to offer a full linear feed directly to consumer in the next few years. That's some that's going to seismically alter the TV landscape because ESPN is one of the main things that people still have cable bundles for. So mm-hmm. it, when that changes, it was the whole thing is going to is going to shift rather dramatically. In CFL terms, I think that they're they're ahead in terms of this streaming play with CFL Plus, and it, it, that in some ways is a very great thing for them. In an era where it's getting more and more expensive to be a sports fan, and where you have to subscribe to a ton of different services just to follow one team if you want to watch every one of their games, uh, that happens in particular in baseball, where where you've got get. You've got games streaming on Peacock. You've got you've got games all uh, on. Uh, you've got games on ESPN. You've got games on TBS. You have to get subscribed to a lot of different services, and including some of those regional sports networks you mentioned with Diamond and Valley too. So mm-hmm. the 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 CFL making a lot of its games, and in particular its playoffs, available for free is a pretty good thing, I think, and that's something that 
for the people who are interested, that is a real selling point. The challenge is, like you talked about earlier, Joe, that it's going to be harder to find if you're not already aware of it. You're not going to see it in your ESPN Plus menu. You're not going to see it in your Hulu member menu. You're not going to see it just browsing around the ESPN channels in your cable guide. You're going to have to actively go to CBS Sports Network. And this is one of the areas where the shift from ESPN networks to CBS Sports Network hurts is there are way less people who just turn on CBS Sports Network and see whatever is on there. You generally go there if there is a specific thing you want to watch. And that's even more so the case when it comes to this streaming stuff. People are going to find it if they're looking for it, but they're going to need to know it's there and know how to get it and know what website to go to. Um, so I think in some ways it, it's smart for the CFL on a future focused thing to get people used to this idea of streaming, get people used to this idea of direct to consumer streaming through a CFL product uh, with, with CFL plus. And I, I think there's potentially a really great opportunity for them if they build that up into a level where there is a paid tier with some of those premium features. With, with the on-demand, with maybe with maybe the uh, coach's film or rewind or all those things, that could be or another... even just say, here's the league. Here's everything. We have this. We have our own streaming rights. Here's the mm -hmm. whole league. Mm -hmm. Then it'd be a shut up and take your take our money situation. I think. <laughs> yeah, and well, and the other thing too is just because the CFL Plus is free for this year, that doesn't mean it always has to be. We've seen that with a lot right. of these streaming services that they start out at low prices or free, uh, as with uh, Apple TV and MLB last year. They made that completely free all year, and then they're charging it for it this year. The, and with all the streaming services, the, the theory is you do it cheaply at first, you offer lots of trials and discounts and so on, you get your subscribers on board, and then you jack up the price. And some people will cancel, but the theory is less of them will cancel, so you'll still come out ahead on it. So if the CFL is very intentional about this and build CFL Plus into an actual thing that could get them some revenue then at the very least they'll begin they'll begin a little bit of revenue there and not just from the us they'll get begin some from around the world but the other thing with that too is then that gives them a compelling alternative when say the cbs contract comes up again or whatever right it's like okay you don't give us enough we'll go do it ourselves and but you can't do that if you don't already have a, a proven ability to do it right so what they really need to do for the next couple of years if they can't sell all of their games like this year is to see what they can make make of this instead of just slapping it up there and hoping for the best so we know the cfl sometimes takes a sweet time to to figure things out but, but if they, there's an opportunity there it's time for them to start paying attention to it i hope yeah the other thing i would just note though is that like Obviously, we're focusing on this, focusing on this as a podcast talking about the CFL in the U.S. and to some degree around the world. But this yeah. is all this is all small potatoes for the CFL compared to their TSN broadcasting deal. The TSN oh, broadcasting course. deal is what pays for the league, and so of course, it, it's that's their sal it, it covers all the players' salaries. Is my guess, or yeah. very very close to it. Uh, very yeah. at the last time I looked at it, it came very very close to that. So yeah, and and yeah. I and and that's sort of interesting too because it's the reverse of most of the leagues I usually cover, right? Where the main focus is what's going on in the U.S. and then anything international is gravy for them. It's the reverse of the CFL. Where they're making their money is Canadian TV rights. Then after that, Canadian tickets, merchandise, that sort of thing. And so, the, and it's interesting too, because they've talked a big game about international in the last few years of CFL 2.0 and Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner being like global, global, we need global players. We need to do all this stuff. Well, CFL plus is a useful step towards that. Perhaps it certainly provides at least some possible enhanced access certainly cheaper access for people who are able to get to it and use it and know about it. And there, there's a way that it could become slightly bigger than it is. But even in the best case scenarios, 
The CFL is never going to be bigger in the U.S. or around the world that is in Canada. Canada is where their money is coming from. So this is all just sort of, this is the top right. 10 that's, or 20%. That's, that's, that's the home, right. Yeah. To be fair, though, how often does this happen? I mean, even, even in Europe now, uh, if you're living in a country like Hungary, yeah, your favorite team may be in Germany, but odds are mm-hmm. on the weekend you're going to be watching like Champions League. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be watching one of the international tournaments, you know, uh, there's not many Bundesliga games on in like Poland every week, you know, there, there's, this mm-hmm. just doesn't happen anywhere else. So in that respect, where if we we're slightly privileged here, expecting, you know, the Canadians to give us all this, you know, CFL stuff. Um, but on the other, other hand, you know, football is really enjoyed by about, uh, two countries in the whole well and (laughs) the other thing to keep in mind there too is that and this has always been an interesting component of cfl us broadcast deals it's not just about the fans a big part of this is selling players and how can my family and friends at home watch my games that's always been a thing that's always been an issue in trying to get guys up to the cfl is like i want to be able to tell my parents hey here's how you can watch me and so in some respects this this new stuff is a step forward and you no longer have to pay and and if you know somebody in the league you probably have enough motivation to get over the hurdle of finding the game in in some it's a little bit of a step backwards though because you can't just go to a bar and be like hey put it on espn2 <laughs> yes well, that, I, i've seen it more than once but walk been... in the in the past few years walking into a bar and in, in the mm-hmm. middle of july and hey look that's what I'm in summer in particular. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, well, exactly. Yeah. September comes and you never see it again, but that's always going to be the hurdle for the CFL if they want to expand to us base. But, but this is also, also the thing something. though, <laughs> but we, we talked about it a little bit earlier with the XFL and the competition there. And I've, I think one big thing the CFL still has going on is that it's, it's time shifted compared to the XFL compared to the USFL. The XFL plays real early in the spring. Their season's already done. Yeah. USFL is going right now, but they don't run too long into the CFL season. They they wrap up in June. So the, the CFL has games going on when there really isn't any other football that Americans are going to watch. And there's still appeal to that. And that's where most of these CBS Sports Network games are coming, are in the summer before they get into their college football commitments. So there's value there. And that's why CBS is paying the league this for this. Yeah, I've I've always said this going back to the the previous point. I've always said this that if Americans really wanted to promote the CFL, that's what they would do. They'd go, mm-hmm. "Hey, remember this dude like at Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. winning the national mm-hmm. championship? Now he's playing on Edmond." Or like the best example of this is Chris Jones. Mm-hmm. Right? Chris Jones in his hometown is like, you know, Mr. Popular. Right? If you mm-hmm. told that if they were on an accessible network, you could market that to the whole state if you did it properly. You know, I mean, like like these guys could advertise locally for the mm-hmm. league, you know, but again, it's small potatoes. Right. So right now. So no one's willing to put in that sort of marketing effort. But that's how you would do it. That's how you would do it. You'd go, well, you'd, you'd and, advertise and in states like mm-hmm. North Dakota and South Dakota, you know, where, where a bunch of their players are going, and in the mm-hmm. South, where a bunch of the players are going to the CFL. No, and that's a good point. And I think the CFL has done very well when they have tried to make those connections mm-hmm. with places where players and coaches are from. I mean, back when I was still at Yahoo covering the CFL, I wrote about Chris Jones taking the Grey Cup to the Cornbread yeah. Festival right. in Pittsburgh Landing, Tennessee. And so, like... Yeah, these guys have hometown support. They have guys that people that do want to watch and follow them. And so uh, I think in some ways, CFL Plus is maybe an opportunity there. If you no longer need to sign up for any paid service or whatever, you just need to have, yeah, really what, what the CFL should do is send a memo out to their players of, hey, email all your friends, tell them how to watch the game each week. But they should send, they should send everybody who signs up a Microsoft Surface, right? <laughs> yeah. there you go. It's a, the app's already pre-installed and everything. It's great. There you, there you go. Hey, thanks. That'll get me to watch it. You can put it up over the bar, right? Um, okay. So 
should, should we actually talk some real football? I mean, I know a lot of sports these days is money, but should we sure. actually talk some real football? Let's do it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Um, well, Andrew, like I said before, uh, you know, I've been distracted by a lot of other uh, ball games happening lately. Have we learned anything during this preseason, during these five games that we've had so far as of this recording? Well, I mean, I, there, we've learned a little bit. Uh, I, I've been falling into a little loosely, but uh, caught, caught a few things here and there. I, I, to me, I think the most interesting story in the CFL this year, at least heading into the season, is what's going to happen with the Toronto Argonauts. They're the, they're the defending Grey Cup champions, but they've made this quarterback change with McLeod Bethel-Thompson coming off to the USL with, <laughs> with the New Orleans Breakers, and with Chad Kelly, who is the most discussed backup quarterback ever <laughs> with several glowing profiles to his name long before he ever did anything of note in the CFL. And now he's taken over and we'll get to see if he can, if he can back up all that talk. So I, I don't know that we've seen anything super notable from the preseason there, but I, they're the team that I have my eye on the the most in and uh, that lost their, lost that preseason game to Hamilton. But I don't know that the preseason always means that much. I'm just really interested to see how things are going to go for them once the season kicks off. Well, five games, all five points or fewer. So I don't I don't think that's very representative yeah, of, exactly. of the way this season will go. Um exactly. I'm glad you brought up Chad Kelly. Um I just found out this today. He's actually the fourteenth highest paid quarterback in the CFL. That's per mm-hmm. three down nation. Uh but I wanted to ask you, Andrew. Okay, so as usual, uh, there's been some significant quarterback movement uh in the CFL this season. I wanted to ask you of these four. Uh, which is in the best situation and which do you expect the most out of? We've got Bo Levy Mitchell, of course, with Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Trevor Harris is with Saskatchewan. <laughs> My new boy, Cody Fajardo, is with Montreal. And uh, we just talked about Chad Kelly with Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I maybe expect the most out of Bo. It's been a couple, a rough couple of years for him, but this is a guy who's played at such a high level at so many times. I think Hamilton also has some pretty good pieces around him. The, the, the question for me with Saskatchewan and Montreal in particular, it's not so much about the quarterbacks. It's about everyone they're surrounding them with. And I think the Montreal in particular, that's, that's a rough situation. That's a tumultuous situation with the whole ownership changes they've had. They've had a lot of, of off off field turmoil and so on. So that that's not an, that's not going to be an easy place to play. And, and okay, hang, hang maybe, on just maybe they can let, prove me wrong. Let me stop you here for a sec, Andrew, and you can go on in a second. Yeah. Have have the Alouettes been eliminated from playoff contention yet? <laughs> well, I, I think you absolutely cannot say that in the CFL, in okay. particular in the CFL East, where a lot of weird things seem to happen. Well, what's regularly. the tiebreaker scenario on that one? <laughs> we have one. Yeah, yeah. Will, will, will we get a crossover team or not? Right. <laughs> right. But I just, Here we go. I, I, I think it it's not looking great for Montreal at the moment. Maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll surprise me, but they lost some big guys in the offseason when they didn't really have a lot of stability in place. They had a lot of uncertainty about what was going on with their ownership well into free agency. And so I, I think that that's that's a tough situation for any quarterback. Um, okay. Yeah. The other thing that I want to ask you too, was this, okay. So of course, last year's Canadian sensation, Nathan Rourke is now with the Jacksonville mm-hmm. Jaguars, which is a very mm-hmm. odd sighting. I'm, st- I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. And that happened while the playoffs were still going on in the NFL, but, uh, but BC does have this year, Vernon Adams and Dane Evans. And of mm-hmm. course, as we've seen in this past decade or so, you know, the dependence, of, the importance of that second quarterback in the CFL is huge. Does mm-hmm. BC have the best one, two, at least to start the season? They certainly have two guys who have accomplished a lot at different points. The, I think the, the question is the level that they're both currently playing at. But I think 
I think that's about the best Lions could do in that Rourke was such a star. He was putting up numbers, some of the best numbers in single season CFL history. Replacing that guy is not easy. And I think they were smart to rather than just pay one guy a huge amount of money, they've got two capable guys who could do it. The question is just, is either of them really going to be able to step up? No. Nope. I, I do. I'm feeling some things coming out of Vancouver last year. They, you could tell that they were super confident about work and do something we, the rest of us didn't. I'm getting the same vibes out of the same people that they feel like Adams is that guy too, but he has a little bit more of a track record of being up and down at times, but it seems like at least if the same people that were calling for work to be, what he was uh, are also saying that Adams is is firmly entrenched and everybody's confident in him. If they're saying that they were right about Rourke last year, uh, I'm feeling like they must know something we don't too. Well, I think the other thing there too, we talked a little bit about it er earlier, but uh, it's not just the quarterback. It's who you have around them. And BC has a very good roster. Yes. I think Neil McAvoy and Rick Campbell, they've put together a really nice roster there. I mean, they went 12 and six last year. That's better than the eventual Grey Cup champion Argonauts during the regular season. Yeah, so they scored they, a lot of points. They, they absolutely a lot did. of points. No matter <laughs> yeah, the five, 538 points, second yeah. league, only behind uh, Calgary. So, I mean, uh, that is that is a good situation in contrast to some of the other ones we were talking about. And so that makes it a lot easier for Adams to step in. And if he falters, then they've got a very capable guy in Evans who might be able to take on that mantle. Yeah, uh, yeah, it just we're felt gonna... like the stage was too big for Evans last year. Uh, he mm had -hmm. shown the years before he's very capable, but something went wrong last year and he just couldn't handle what was going on because he was throwing the ball all over the place where it didn't belong, where years before he wasn't making those decisions. So maybe just knowing he's not 1A will help him. I think that's something we've seen in the CFL a lot too. If, like we've seen veteran quarterbacks who have a number of good seasons, then a bad one, then they resurface somewhere else and come back and are are, are decent and so on, right? Like for a lot of this league's history, there have been a lot of quarterbacks who have moved around and found an acceptable level of success, at least with a second team. So I, I would say just because somebody struggled somewhere doesn't mean that they're done. Joe, wasn't your quarterback kind of like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he find a certain amount of success there in Winnipeg? Uh, Andrew. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and there's the, then there's a few others that have wandered through Winnipeg over the years, mm -hmm. too. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> happens. It happens. Um, Andrew, we're going to get out of, get you out of here before too much longer. I do have some more uh, to ask you. But um, before we move off of the CFL for a minute, um, do you have any no longer far too early outrageous predictions for this upcoming CFL season? Would you like to put anything on the record here? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how confident I I am in predictions, but I, I am ex I am expecting uh, Joe's Bombers to be quite quite good again. Obviously, they had the amazing regular season last year. Went to the Grey Cup. That was a close, epic Grey Cup. Could have won it with a couple of different bounces. So. They're they're looking pretty good to me. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I think B BC is looking pretty good to me. Calgary should Calgary is consistently reasonably good. I think Hamilton's maybe the team I expect that could take the biggest step forward with Montreal maybe stepping back with some questions about Toronto. And I'm really interested to see if Toronto will be able to maintain what they did or if they're going to step back, especially after the transition to Chad Kelly. Um, now I also wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, don't want to run too long, but I did want to talk to you about board and game.com mm -hmm. and also SD Histcon, which is San Diego historical gaming. Mm -hmm. Con, I guess. Would, uh, would yeah. San Diego historic games convention. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Historic games convention. Okay. So I wanted to ask you this, um, and you can give me some recommendations on board games and whatnot, sure. but how is the attitude toward tabletop sports games? 
I mean, yeah. these are historical board games. If you're if you're playing them the way they should be played, which I rarely do, but if you're playing them correctly, these are also historical simulators. How do you guys feel about those games? Yeah, it, it depends. I mean, there's certainly large sectors of the tabletop hobby that are into sports games, and that can really take a variety of forms. Um, a lot of them are sort of in like the stratomatic baseball mo uh, model yeah. of uh, um, it's it's sort of like you, you simulate seasons with uh, with accurate or random play or players or or whatever, and uh, roll dice and see what happens. Um, there's some there's some good some good card games and some good uh, football ones even uh, I like the uh, handoff series which is a, it's card play with a pretty um, pretty standard like 52 card deck but you do different plays depending on what cards you play at what time and so on and that's pretty cool and that that has a lot less overhead that a lot of the more uh, simulation -y, uh football games so that that can be a good way to a good way to get more casual people into it and then even in like um in modern Euro games or European games that take up a lot of the tabletop hobby, some of the people there are making complicated sports games at the moment. Uh, the one that nice. particularly comes to mind is uh, Portal Games has just come out with this game called Eleven, which is a simulator of running a soccer team and a, a very like very Euro game style of like you need these different resources, you, you buy these different players, you send them to do different things and so on. But it's interesting to see that level of sports games sort of uh, make it into more of the general tabletop hobby. The other one I would uh, shout out to um, maybe my favorite sports game is this one called Baseball Highlights 2045. It's a really good deck building game. It's futuristic baseball, but it's all uh, it's all the player names are shout outs to different historical players and so on. And it has the appeal of being both a good game and a good game that feels like baseball. So uh, that works if you have people who are both board gaming fans and also into sports. <laughs> and also into science fiction, it sounds like. As yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the name of that called again? I'm going to look at that one. What's Baseball that one Highlights 2045. It's a world where there are still some humans playing, but there are also <laughs> cyborgs and robots. <laughs> yeah, I think according to Star Trek, that baseball dies in 2041. <laughs> I believe it's pretty close now. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm not sure if I can headcanon that baseball highlights <laughs> in my head. Um, what, what are you, uh, what are you enjoying nowadays? Uh, uh, for board games? Um, yeah. It's, yeah, sort of, uh, it's sort of all over the place. So you mentioned, um, I work with the San Diego Historic Games Convention and we're doing right. some really cool stuff there. Uh, we're, um, on our on our website, actually, the SD Hescom website, we're running regular articles about uh, about historical gaming and war gaming um, designer diaries. We had one from a couple of people designing a game on the current Russian-Ukraine conflict. That was really interesting. Uh, we had one uh, from, from a professional war game designer who's also designed a hobby game uh, looking at at a um, conflict with uh, with the Marines and amphibious forces and that. And so he wrote a piece for us about that. And uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of very interesting things to explore in historical games. Um, some of my favorites there are uh, the coin series, this counterinsurgency series from GNT Games, and it ha it has some very interesting ideas about modeling um, what what happens in different conflicts where you have one very established force and one sort underground force. So they have good ones on the American Revolution, the end of the Roman Empire in Britain, and then even more modern conflicts. So there's there's lots of cool things you can do there, and uh, that sort of historic stuff, things that uh, perk, uh, pique my historic interest. That's taking a lot of my time at the moment. What what would you say is your favorite like classic board game, like one that everybody would know? Yeah, um, well, so if we're going if we're going like real classic uh, mass mass market stuff. Uh, I one of one of the mass market ones I still like a lot is Clue. I think Clue is interesting because <laughs> it's got a good de deduction mechanic in that, and that still that still holds up. Um, the roll move stuff in it is not always great, but there's there's some cool things going on there. Um, and yeah, in terms of in terms of other ones, uh, 
there are some there are some old classics that have come back recently uh, one i really like is there's a new version of the 80s game uh, fireball island that restoration games oh, has right. come up with and put out this new one and it, it's a way better game than the original ever was but still gives you that that fun of dropping fireballs and seeing where they come out and uh <laughs> knocking people down with that, and that so that, that that's the sort of stuff that can appeal to people who aren't necessarily heavily into tabletop games were you into um uh, I can't remember the name of the game. Uh, it's not Civilization, but it's the it's the game of World Conquest. Oh, um, diplomacy, perhaps? Or no, uh, no, 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 no. They did a Seinfeld episode about it. Oh, oh, oh Risk. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Risk. I, I've I've played Risk. Absolutely. Risk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, like, like, where did you? I mean, were you just in one of those families where you were always playing board games, or like, how did you get into it? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, my my parents and my uncle were both were all pretty into games, and so that's where I picked a lot of it up. Um, we started with a lot of like classic card games, like uh, Cribbage in particular, and so ah, we'd play that. And then we play some some classic board games. Uh, one mass market one I do want to give a shout out to. It's harder to find at the moment, but there's this old uh, Parker Brothers game called Careers, and it's really sure. good. It's it's like a good version of like the game of life. Of where, life. Where yeah. <laughs> in careers, you've got some more decisions. You can choose what tracks you want to take, and uh, you can you can go to the moon. You can become a lawyer. You can do all sorts of interesting things. So yeah, so I played a bunch of those mass market ones, and then just slowly got more and more into um. I'm into railroad games, historical games, uh, Euro style uh, tabletop stuff, and yeah, it's just sort of been a thing for me for the last couple of decades. Joe, I think you should have put one of those disclaimers at the beginning of this segment, too. Probably, if you had known what was coming, you could have. <laughs> it's like, we apologize for anyone who came uh, here for football. No <laughs> We're going to talk about war games here. Uh, yeah. In any case, well, let's get you out of here, Andrew. This is the last week of preseason games, so enjoy the season. Begins next week. Um, we will talk to you next week here on the Rouge, White, and Blue for my co-host, Joe Pritchard, and for our guest, Andrew Buckholtz of AwfulAnnouncing.com. This has been the Rouge, White, and Blue. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.